Oh, no. 
6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
far across the great divide Come with me across the river to the other side Come with me across the river Far across the great divide Come with me across the river To the other side Pack up your things and go To a land that I will show you For no other reason than to join me on this journey Into the great unknown
Oh, you know. 
J.M. in the A.M. David Perlman with uh, Bekashti, or Bekharbi rather, who Bekashti. Uh, you heard the uh, Ellie Deutsch selection, Pitchuli, Yaffa Shah Achas, that was Yoni Shlomo. Yehuda Green, Land of Your Soul. No doubt referencing the Holy Land, Israel, on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha. Ma'yedidus, Ramicha Gamerman, Gershon Varoba. 
across the river. Another great Lech Lecha selection. Lech Lecha, done by Yonatan Sheinfeld. That's a good one. Deddy with Lecha Atain. That's a good one. Enkel Okenu, brand new from Eitan Katz, as we get set for the Kalbach yard site this coming Tuesday. And the Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this October the 30th, day 12 in the month of Mar Cheshvan, the year 5781, Tavshin Pei Aleph. It's Shabbos Parshas Lechacha with candle lighting at 534 in New York. 534, your candle lighting on this Erev Shabbos. Uh, we'll switch to daylight, sa- oh no, excuse me, we'll switch to uh, standard time tomorrow night. We will fall back tomorrow night. 2 a.m. will become 1 a.m. And boy, is Shabbos going to be early next week. Shabbos is already early in Yerushalayim. Uh, the Seagulls of Jerusalem told me that um, that candle lighting today in Jerusalem is about 420-ish. Woo, that's early. Oh, no, maybe it was 410-ish. I think they said 410-ish. Yeah, I think they said it was 410-ish in Jerusalem today. We'll be at about 420-ish uh, next week here. So, yeah, things are getting early, and make sure you know when things start where you are. And it is Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha, and this is our final Shabbos of the year on the Daylight Savings Time. And um, and we'll go to standard time uh, tomorrow night. 2 a.m. will become 1 a.m. Uh, Tuesday is Election Day. I don't think I need to remind this audience of how important it is to vote. And... Um, <laughs> Do everything in your power to utilize your right and privilege to vote in this country. Something that our grandparents and great-grandparents dreamt about and for some of them never enjoyed. So Tuesday is election day and uh, let's hope and pray that, um, that God provides the leader for this country that will be best for the Jewish people and mankind. That's how I would put it. We want somebody who's going to be a great leader, both for the uh, worldwide Jewish community, because, of course, the leader of the United States is essentially a worldwide leader, and for uh, mankind, both in the United States and around the world. That's what we're hoping for. So Tuesday's election day, keep that in mind. 44 degrees. I know it's pretty chilly out there. We've got some uh, rain going on in the whole thing. 90.1% humidity. Winds are north at uh, 18 miles per hour. Windy rain today, a high of 46. Tonight, partly cloudy, a low 35. Wow, 35. Wow. <laughs> the outdoor mignonum are going to have a challenge tonight. Sunshine tomorrow, a high 48 degrees. 82 in Yerushalayim. That's nice. Four, that's really nice. 44 here in New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Wow. Pretty cool. 44 degrees. Um, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Tuesday, in addition to being election day, it's the uh, Shlomo Kalbach yard site. So we'll certainly get on a bunch of his music on the Tuesday morning. So keep that in mind, everybody. And... Um, and I, I think that that's the uh, I think the most important message we can give everybody is to make sure that uh, make sure you vote and make sure that uh, you get to those polls on Tuesday if you haven't voted yet, and um, make your voice heard. Simple as that. I'm not sure what else to say on this topic other than make sure to take care of your responsibility to vote. 
Shlomo Simcha's next by request. You're listening to JM in the AM on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos.
JM in the AM, Modad, done by Mordechai Shapiro to wrap up the uh, first hour of our broadcast. Uh, before that, you heard Shlomo Simcha and Keladon. Ashrei Me was done by Shlomi Gertner. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha, when hopefully we'll have an opportunity over Shabbos to focus on the Holy Land, no matter where we are around this world, and remember how important it is to the present and future of the Jewish people. I hope everyone gets an opportunity to share those types of thoughts with uh, with family members this Shabbos. You know, we've had a lot of physical separation. Those of you who are in Israel right now, you cannot relate to this. But we in the diaspora have had a tremendous physical separation. For some of us who are going to Israel once every 20 years, for those of us who go once every five years, for those of us who go once every five months, no matter what the case may be, we've had this physical separation over the last uh, many months since Purim. And it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult. And I would hope that, um, and, and I'm hoping that one of the things that does not happen because of coronavirus is that there's uh, more of a gap, more of a drifting away from uh, Israel by Jews in the diaspora because of that physical separation. So we take this opportunity on Parshas Lechacha, I hope, with our children and grandchildren to uh, transmit the importance, the love, the dedication to, the importance to support, the importance to be there for the land of Israel and the state of Israel on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Lechacha. And I really hope that over Shabbos people will have an opportunity to transmit that message. It's such an important one, frankly, such an important one. This portion of NSN programming is brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abels and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more, and modern better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 20%, excuse me, enjoy a 10% discount. I was, I was, I was, I was spending A&H's money there a moment ago. Uh-huh. Uh, enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio at kosherdogs.net and try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. That's what we hear from everybody. Everybody always says, I am glad I tried. And you were right, Nachum Siegel. You were right. I tried A&H products, and they're absolutely delicious. Oh, that's funny. We're up against Ivan Rahav Meir. I forgot about that because now it's a – whenever it's a six-hour difference, then JM and the AM is literally up against Ivan Rahav Meir and her husband, Yedidya Meir. Usually it's at 5 a.m. Eastern time, but their show, when we're six-hour difference, is 6 a.m. Eastern time. That's funny. I guess they wrapped up the hour already, and we'll get to our news in a moment. Uh, daylight savings time ends tomorrow night, which means it will be a seven-hour difference again between us and the state of Israel. Again, it, uh, daylight savings time ends tomorrow night. Make sure to change the clock. Uh, 2 a.m. will become 1 a.m. Check it out. I have not heard Shimi Tavori in a while. I'm literally, uh, I'm literally writing notes because uh, it just reminded me. He has some amazing music. We haven't played him in quite a while. Thank you, Galitzal, for reminding me, reminding me about him. Coming up, 40 minutes from now, it's Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll do the weekly update here at JM&AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. 
גלי צהל השח. 1 p.m. newscast. כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ועדת השרים לענייני אזור מוגבל מכונסת בשעה זו על מנת להעריך את ההגבלות על אזורים עם נתוני תחלואה גבוהים. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסר וולברג מעדכנת כי השרים צפויים לאשר הגבלות נרחבות על מג'דל שמס ועל היישוב בועיינה נוג'ידת שבגליל התחתון. וביום ראשון הקרוב תיכנסנה לתוקף ההקלות החדשות ותיפתחנה כיתות א' עד בחלוקה לקבוצות קטנות ולמשך ארבעה ימים בשבוע לפחות. המספרות מכוני היופי לימודי נהיגה ואימונים אישיים יותרו גם כן, כמו גם הצימרים ובתי הכנסת, במגבלה של עד עשרה בני אדם במבנה סגור. פלסטינים השליכו הלילה מטען מאולתר לעבר כוח צה"ל סמוך לג'נין, האיצו לעברו ונורו. בקרב החיילים לא נרשמו נפגעים. לפי דיווחים פלסטינים, אחד מהחשודים נפצע קשה, ושניים נוספים נפצעו בינוני. בצה"ל אומרים כי לאחר השלכת המטען מרכב, החיילים חסמו את הכביש כדי לעצור את הרכב, אולם הוא האיץ לעברם והם הגיבו בירי. זו הייתה פגיעה, מסרו בדובר צה"ל. ובתוך כך, לוחמי מג"ב עצרו הלילה באירוע נוסף בבית לחם, שלושה חשודים שיידו בקבוקי תבערה. לעבר מוצב משמר הגבול בעיר, ידיעה שמסר כתבנו בשטחים, שחר גליק. המחבל שרצח אתמול שתי נשים וגבר בכנסיית נוטרדם בניס, הוא אברהים אל-אוויסאווי, צעיר בן 21 מתוניסיה, כך הותר לפרסום. בנוסף, עצרו רשויות אכיפת החוק בצרפת, גבר בן 47, בחשד שהיה בקשר עם המחבל יום לפני הפיגוע. כזכור, במהלך הפיגוע, ערף אל-אוויסאווי את ראשה של אחת הקורבנות לאחר שקרא אללה אכבר. שר הפנים הצרפתי ג'רלדה מרנין אמר כי צפויים פיגועים נוספים והגדיר את המצב כמלחמה. אנו נמצאים במאבק נגד אויב שנמצא בפנים ומבחוץ, אמר עלינו להבין שיהיו והיו עוד אירועים כמו ההתקפות האיומות האלה. מזג האוויר ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, ולסיום היסטוריה בטיוואן ולקהילה הגאה. לראשונה נישאו היום שתי קצינות בצבא לבנות זוגן בחתונה צבאית, הראשונה מסוגה במדינת האי. משרד ההגנה שם כינה את הטקס שנערך היום, להם ול-186 זוגות נוספים. פתוח ומתקדם. כתבת חדשות החוץ רומי פרידמן מזכירה שטיוואן, שרק אתמול ציינה 200 ימים נקיים מקורונה, הפכה בשנה שעברה למדינה הראשונה באסיה שאפשרה נישואים חד-מיניים. אלה החדשות.
לדורות הברית J.M. 
p.m. in the a.m. Friday morning broadcast. Micha Gamerman with that Shabbos medley. Erev Shabbos Parshas Lachachal. We change the clock tomorrow night. Standard time will be the uh, will be the um, winter time in New York City and the rest of the country. I think the rest of the country. Who knows? Maybe there's a time zone or a city that doesn't change the clock. Uh, candle lighting at uh, 5.34. 5.34 candle lighting here in New York. Uh, from the NSN app, and feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, the Home Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Um, good Shabbos from Oak Park, California. Would you kindly play Keladon? We did that earlier. Have a peaceful, meaningful Shabbos. By the way, this listener says, Trader Joe's out here in California no longer carrying A&H hot dogs. They said it was seasonal. Correct. That's why we changed our messaging regarding A&H. We haven't mentioned Trader Joe's in about a month or so. Uh, because, in fact, uh, it is a seasonal thing, uh, carrying the uh, A&H hot dogs at Trader Joe's. So if you don't see them now, that's the reason why. And uh, that's why we've changed our uh, our message here at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg has words about Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha. Um, here he is regarding the upcoming Parsha on JM in the AM. There's a somewhat controversial scene towards the beginning of this week's Torah portion. Abraham, Avraham, is told by God to leave his homeland and to head to the Promised Land. He arrives in Israel, but soon thereafter, there's a famine. And so he heads down to Egypt with his beautiful wife, Sarah, Sarah. He tells her to pretend that she's his sister because he's worried that if not, they'll kill him and take her. But she's kidnapped nevertheless by none other than Pharaoh taken to his palace, and God has to intercede miraculously in order to save her and Avraham, and then Pharaoh sends them away with great wealth. Many of the commentators defend Avraham's action during this episode, but one in particular, the Ramban, Nachmanides, one of the earliest, greatest of the commentators, finds fault with Avraham. He says that Avraham's actions herein rather than staying in the Holy Land and relying on God to help him out during the famine, constituted an accidental but great sin. And as a result of that great sin, that crack in the foundation of the Jewish people, Avraham's descendants later had to repeat that episode on a grander scale. Famine in the Holy Land, had to go down to Egypt, enslaved by Pharaoh, and then eventually, after God's miraculous intervention, sent out of the country with great wealth. One of the later commentators draws an interesting lesson from the comment of the Ramban criticizing Avraham. He says, you see from this that our leaders, even the greatest of our leaders, were human, just like we are. They were not infallible, nor are we. If we make a mistake, we have to regret it and then correct it. But a different later commentator goes a different way when discussing the Ramban's comment. He says, I have an easier time believing that the Ramban sinned when he said that Avraham had sinned than believing that Avraham had sinned. He's teaching us that although, yes, our great leaders were certainly human and not infallible, but we do not have shoulders nearly broad enough, not even the Ramban himself, to criticize people like the patriarchs. And perhaps we can extend that lesson to nowadays our rabbis find themselves in an even more difficult situation than usual. Usually, 
They have the job of motivating and inspiring and leading a wide range of congregants in each of their synagogues. Now added to that job, while still typically not being paid the big bucks, they're tasked with making decisions with respect to how to respond and how to guide their congregations during this pandemic. So we have to be very careful not to criticize them, to defer to them and to respect them. And not just them, not just the rabbi in your synagogue, but the rabbi in that other synagogue, the one where you don't pray, a few blocks away, a mile away, in the next city or the next state or another country. We have to grant them tremendous respect and deference and be very careful when criticizing them how we do that. And maybe we shouldn't even at all. Harry Rothenberg, his words regarding Parsha's Lech Lecha. Well, we have a surprise with us live via telephone. Um, once we uh, once we saw that the project that Eitan Katz had told us about earlier in the week uh, has been announced and has been um, uh, made official uh, with the uh, email that I saw from the Shlomo Katz project, um, that they are going to uh, air the whole, uh, well, he'll explain the whole thing, but, uh, basically this coming Sunday, everybody, if you're in the New York area at one thirty PM, you're going to be in for a big treat and we'll explain why Shlomo Katz is with us live via telephone from the Holy Land on this Erev Shabbat Parshas Lech Lecha. Uh, Shalom, Shalom, and thanks for joining us, Shlomo. Hey, everyone. You know where you made me jealous? And off the air a minute ago, I was telling you about uh, how Lechacha does uh, get me to pine even more for the land of Israel. The video you made with your daughter last week with I mean, is that, uh, is, is, is that the scene? Is that really the scene from your porch? Because because if it is, I think I have a halachic uh, a pass to be jealous of you. I think jealousy in this case would be a good thing. It, well, first of all, I'm giving you a header not to be jealous, <laughs> and and the way that we the way that we implement that is by having you broadcast from our porch. Can you imagine that every Arab Shabbos? That is literally that is literally your porch that I was looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with, with the most amazing views of of Hare Yehuda, right? Essentially, it's Hare Yehuda, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going on again in about two and a half hours for another one, Erev Shabbos. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's <laughs> yeah. that's number one. Uh, secondly, um, uh, on this Erev Shabbos parsha's Lech Lecha, it also happens to be the uh, the Erev Shabbos before Shlomo Kalbach's yard site. And you know your wonderful brother, Eitan, who now is living in Jerusalem, which must be incredible for you that uh, you know that both of you are in the Holy Land. Uh, you already took advantage of the fact that both of you are in the Holy Land. You, you put together, as he described it to us and as we saw in your email, uh, a, a visit, a visit to Moshav Mavomodi'in, where you sat in the synagogue of the Moshav, and I, I, I can't really speak for you because I haven't seen any of this, but based on what he told us, you sing and tell stories and just reminisce and speak to each other about Reb Shlomo and the Moshav and, and a lot of other things that people would love to hear as we get closer and closer to the art site this coming Monday night. Tell us about this uh, presentation that we will see at one thirty. Sunday afternoon. In Israel, they'll see it Sunday night. In L.A., in that area, they'll see it Sunday morning. For us, we could log on to your Facebook and a million other methods at about 1.30 p.m. this coming Sunday. What will we see? Uh, it was exactly what we, what we wanted and more, and more. The Moshav, 
as everyone knows, went through such a tragedy. And but but miraculously, the shul was untouched. Rib Shlomo's shul was untouched. Wow. The Sifrei Torah untouched. So we brought a film crew, and we because of COVID, we couldn't really you know do something public, but. Um, we had about four or five of the elders of the Moshav that, that their houses weren't ruined or half ruined. They're kind of back. They joined us in the back. My parents, our parents came and we just let loose for about two hours. And it was, it was so special. I'm so glad we captured it. And that's what we're going to be sharing, um, on, uh, on, on Sunday, like you mentioned. And that's it. It's as simple as that. We're going to be able to watch as you guys just just jam together, as you just sang some songs, you know told what? some stories. It was so long. Exactly. Exactly. Meaning it was so long since Eitan and I were together. And also together in this format. Usually when we've been together in the last few years, it's been bigger productions, big shows. We just wanted two guitars, two of us. Remembering how we learned certain nigunim, our favorite nigunim, early memories, even early memories of Reb Shlomo. Wow. And it was just, it was just, uh, having, you know, doing this in front of our parents was very, very special. And we even got our dad to come up for one song. Amazing. Absolutely but, um, amazing. Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. I was in touch with your father this week. What an amazing man! Uh, I I but and you know Eitan visited us. He visited us via telephone this week with the brand new unplugged volume number three. I don't know if you're aware of that. Oh, I sure am because basically now we're finally in the same time zone and our <laughs> kids are playing with each other <laughs> nonstop. Eitan's on his way right now to drop off. Uh, he has two kids staying with us for Shabbos. It's just it's a machaya. Um, Sunday morning, Eitan, my father, and I, together with Yonatan Rosell, are recording something special for the Yard site as well. Wow. Which will be filmed later in the week. So it's a different ballgame now. <laughs> and not to put not, not, not to put pressure on you, but I'm, I mean, just as an idea, I was because you're doing a lot of Facebook Live, obviously, and people will be able to see it later today. Like you just said, you're going to be doing it from your porch again before Shabbat. Uh, anything Monday night? Are you planning on on speaking to everyone? Yes. By, What's the plan? What's the plan? I remember, Nachum, you pl- you tuned in. I remember you oh, tuned in to one of our... <laughs> I sure did. Are you kidding me? I sure yeah. did. I think it was last year. And then, as you're driving... Remember, remember, you remember this? As you were driving back from the event, I called you because I, I had to tell you at least two or three Kalbach stories. So I called you as you were I driving remember. home. <laughs> and you were, literally, I remember. you were literally driving home like at 6 a.m. or something. Like, I don't remember... Actually, you know what? I wasn't driving home. You caught me at the airport. I was flying to Toronto. Right. I caught you before a flight. Correct. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this this week is going to be very different. It's going to be less public, but it'll be very interesting because Monday night, yeah, we're going to be, you know, from my home, just raw, Rip Shlomo, just, just a few people and share some, some of the unknown nigunim and some Torahs. And then probably what's going to be Tuesday morning <laughs> which will be at about midnight New York time. Uh, I'm tuning in with the Moshav boys in L.A. They're doing an event, and I'm ending it probably live from the Kever at oh, about 7 a.m. By the way, have you heard what their policy is? Are they letting anybody on the cemetery that day? 
it's not it's that's been like the million dollar question they really mm-hmm. don't know what's going to be this year they don't know and uh and and, yeah. and give me give me the vart give me the vart of why the Kalbach yard site and American election day are the same day what do you think <laughs> I, 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 you know what I was thinking, by the way? I was thinking that, yeah. that Rip Schle- knowing Rip Schleimer, he couldn't care less who the president is. So, so maybe, maybe that's what we need to remember, that as much as we're concerned about who we're going to put in the White House, the reality is that the one above is really controlling things. At Malcolm, this is the first time you've left me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> That's what came to mind because I think the furthest thing from his mind was who the president is because he felt the real president, as all of us should think, is is the one above. Frankly, he's the one running the world and nobody else. We always talk I about. I will quote. I will quote you forever. I appreciate that. We always talk about the president of the United States being the most you know influential and most important and most powerful man in the world. I, I think we, as a Jewish people, know really who the most powerful quote unquote man Kaviyachel in the in the world is, and I think it's an important message. Anyway, that's what I took from the coincidence of this coming <laughs> of this coming Tuesday. By the way, by the way, you know that a- I mean I know you know this obviously, but Aton went through what what you could relate to obviously, which was you know building up a list of songs of Kalbach selections for Unplugged Three, and then trying to whittle it down to you know the ones he actually you know recorded. Uh, they recorded and and put on the uh, on the on the CD on the album, whatever you want to call it. Um, what did you think of his choice of some of the lesser-known Kalbach selections? There's some real gems in there. Gems. Uh, I, he's a master in that. I think that he did a phenomenal job, and I would also say that I think that everyone should be looking forward to Unplugged 4, Unplugged 5, Unplugged 6, <laughs> Unplugged 7, because there really are gems after gems. Look, Nachum, this week I found another seven songs. No, where? Went- where? Because I'm still going through the archive, I'm still processing the material. So, there's Mamish six, seven new songs. So, uh, Mamish. So, so you could expect from Aton unplugged four, unplugged five, unplugged six, unplugged now, seven, unplugged eight as well. Now you, now you, frankly, left me speechless because we're talking about 26 years since his passing. It's 26 years since his passing. I struggle with whether I should dedicate an entire morning with his to his music still, because now there's so many people who, you know, d- don't relate to the era of Shlomo Kalbach. And yet you're telling me that even this week you're finding, you know, what for us is new material. That's unbelievable. A lot of, a lot of material, yeah. I mean, the, what the world knows is maybe, like, probably 10 to 15% of what actually exists. I mean, there's about 18,000 hours of material, and we've only gone to maybe 2,500 of it. Unbelievable. So, Just yeah. incredible. A lot, a, lot, a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. Which daughter gets to do the videos with you today? <laughs> They're fighting over it already. <laughs> we should do it. We should do a little contest. <laughs> exactly. Maybe someone, maybe, maybe all the girls and the cousins that came for Shabbos also. Everybody might might be there today, huh? Yeah. Everyone, everyone, be, yeah. everyone, pay careful attention. We do encourage you, of course, to make sure to listen to the Arab Shabbos show here on the Nachum Siegel Network and our Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. If you have a minute to sneak in a view of uh, Shlomo uh, Katz and his uh, amazing family, uh, Arab Shabbos on Facebook, for instance, probably other platforms as well, but certainly his Facebook page, it is well worth it. And on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Lechacha, it's going to make everybody. 
yearn for Israel even more than usual. You know, our physical separation, you can't relate to this, Shlomo, so you must think, uh, you know, you, you don't know the feeling because uh, because the physical separation that we have felt over all these months, I believe, fortunately, fortunately, is enhanced by the fact that we're now going to read Parshas Lechacha tomorrow. Like, it's always tough, and these last few months have been difficult for those of us who want to get to Israel. But you get to a theme like Lechacha, like Chaye Sarah, where so many of us are used to traveling there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's going to be, uh, it's going to enhance that feeling, which is only a good thing, I know. But I know that uh, that that for as you know, for some of us, it's a pretty painful experience. But you know, I I, I want to say how Rib, I want to give over how Rib Shlomo really approached the whole Indian. He said yeah. once, for those people that were privileged to make Aliyah. It's because they were privileged to hear the words lech lecha, to hear the voice lech lecha loud and clear. Yeah. It was a matnas chinam. Yeah. So all those people that are encouraging Aliyah, if you think you're going to guilt someone to come home, don't bother. It's not what it's about. It's about davening that each yid should hear crystal clear lech lecha and that they receive this matnas chinam that maybe you received as well. Wow. A great approach and a very positive one, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Shlomo Katz, 1.30 p.m. New York time, 8.30 in Israel on Sunday with Eitan in this incredible production that you could find at all his platforms. If you get the Shlomo Katz email, then certainly uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. The information's out already. And the Shlomo wishing you, and, and of course, pay careful attention to his pre-Shabbos video on Facebook. You'll see one of the most remarkable views of Hare Yehuda on an Erev Shabbos, and this is a great Erev Shabbos, Lechacha, to see that and to enjoy that. Shlomo, best to the entire family, and good luck Sunday. I am looking, I am, I, I, I am going to try to alter my football schedule in order to see the, the video when it becomes available at 1.30 on Sunday. Sp- spoken like, now we're talking. Spoken like a true New Yorker, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's Messiris Nevis. That's, that's Messiris Nevis. Football p- plays a major role. As I said to someone this week, that the Siegel family has a football rule when it comes to shul. And you would say, what? What does football have to do with shul? And the answer is when my children ask if they have to go to shul when it's really bad weather, I say, we're going to use the football rule. Would you sit at a football game in this weather? If the answer is yes, then you have to go to shul. Now, of course, Shlomo, the, the answer is always yes. But the important thing is, and I, is that I prove to you that football has a role in raising a Jewish family. How do you like that? You, uh, only you could do that. Oh, I love it. I love it, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos, my man. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, Malcolm. There he is, the great Shlomo Katz, everybody. He's amazing, and he and Eitan together this coming Sunday in that presentation. I hope you get their emails because uh, it's worth keeping up with what they're doing. Such inspiring stuff. Just amazing. By the way, speaking of Shabbos, I've been doing this all week, but I I feel today I have to give an additional push. Uh, Our friends at Partners in Torah have this new initiative, and that is to learn more about Shabbos. They're encouraging everybody, obviously, to do it with a partner. It's partners in Torah. But in this case, the partner doesn't have to be the permanent partner that you have as you study each week. It could be uh, your wife, your husband, your friend, your uh, your long-lost cousin, as they say on the website, or anybody else. Uh, what they're encouraging everybody to do is to go to partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. They have a three-week video series about Shabbos. Uh, and it gives everybody an opportunity with a partner uh, to study about the uh, most important day 
uh, of the week, and that's uh, and that is Shabbos. So we're encouraged, and and hopefully it will lead to uh, many other and to many of the people wanting to uh, continue their Torah education and their uh, knowledge about our heritage. So go to partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Enhance your Erev Shabbos and your knowledge about Shabbos with these videos. Study it with someone else and to take advantage of the incredible system that Partners in Torah has created. So again, it's partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. And uh, it, today's the day. It's Erev Shabbos, the perfect time to do it. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
ושוב בקיסריה, יעקב שוואקי! Yerushalayim Oh, see, we are the ocean. 
to say thank you to my manager and producer who worked so very hard, always works hard, Mr. Yochi Brisbane. Thinking about Yerushalayim and uh, Eretz Yisrael on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha. Friday morning on this October 30th, day 12 of the month of Mar Cheshvan, the year 5781, Tavshin Pei Aleph. Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha, candle lighting in New York, 534. 534, your candle lighting here in New York. It's going to get much earlier next week because, oh, by the way, Shabbos in Israel, if you're, I mean, in Yerushalayim, I should say. Shabbos in Yerushalaym is about 410-ish. 410-ish today, Shabbos in Yerushalayim. Keep that in mind if you normally speak to people in Jerusalem before Shabbat. So candlelighting 534 next week, obviously much earlier. It'll be in the 420s or so. And that is because we change the clock tomorrow night. <coughs> tomorrow night, 2 a.m., Becomes 1 a.m. We go back to standard time. It'll be a seven-hour difference between the uh, Eastern Time Zone and Israel again, uh, starting tomorrow night when 2 a.m. becomes 1 a.m. Keep that in mind. Tuesday is Election Day. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to vote. I hope everyone takes advantage of the opportunity to vote, make our voices heard as both individuals and as a community. Get out there and vote this Tuesday and... uh, Make sure to do your part to make it a. Uh, make sure to do your part so, so that your grandparents and great grandparents, some of whom never dreamed that they'd be able to vote in a democratic society, so that they'll shep some nachas that you've been given this unique opportunity, and that despite some of the craziness, we're living in a land that gives us that opportunity. And, yeah, there is some craziness, that's for sure. Uh, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. JewishWorldReview.com, if you're looking before Shabbos to print out thousands of articles having to do with Israel and the Jewish world, we recommend JewishWorldReview.com. Check them out and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM with the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yes, thank you. Good to be with you. Are you planning on voting on Tuesday? Early and often. There you go. So you got the system down pat. Chicago rules, right? Now we just need. <laughs> now we just need everybody else to follow uh, in your footsteps. Although it, it does seem that a lot of people, compared to the usual turnout, already have uh, voted, which is good to know. Uh, people are taking advantage of the opportunity. But again, as I said. Uh, you know, generations of Jews never had an opportunity like this, and we should be, as, as as much as there are other messages that we should be transmitting to our children and grandchildren, one of them is the importance of voting. So, I already voted, and I, I want to advise people that because of the rain, a lot of the voting places, places like here at Brooklyn College, yesterday it took one minute, the whole process. I literally walked in, voted, and walked out. Interesting. And, I didn't consider that. People should think about the fact that uh, because of the rain, a lot of people are not going to the going to vote early. So, oh, very good. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a a, a very important tip. There are places in this country uh, where people are waiting six, seven, eight hours in order to vote early. Uh, so keep right. that in mind, everybody. This may be a perfect day in this area uh, to go out and actually vote. Also, on the second of November, this coming Monday, it is Balfour Day. We'll certainly speak about it this coming Monday. But when we think about Jewish history and we talk about the uh, uh, peace agreements being made with other countries and we talk about Israel's position in the world, Malcolm, it was not long ago where Israel was in not was not in a position like this, and certainly and and did not exist as a state, frankly. 
uh, and when gestures like the Balfour Declaration proved to be very important historically. So we should remember that. As I was always told by generations prior to mine, you don't know what it's like to live in a world without a state of Israel. Very true. But we need to transmit that message to the uh, future generations and make sure that they realize there was a time in Jewish history when it was not nearly as easy uh, to be a Jew and to be uh, somebody who was uh, in love with the land of Israel and eventually with the state of Israel. Absolutely. And, to, and so little is asked of us to, to uh, demonstrate it by going out to vote, by participating. And the, the uh, message shouldn't be, can't be clearer. Look at what, what happened this week with uh, all the developments, whether in France and Iran and Israel. The, these things should be an incentive to everybody, a reminder to everybody about the importance of being able, you know, everybody likes to complain about why people don't do stuff don't do things and, and don't say what they would like to hear said. Well, vote, and then you will hear. Yeah, then you can vetch a little bit once you've voted. Uh, what do you make of the fact that now passports for those born in Jerusalem will say Jerusalem-Israel on United States passports? Yes, it will, and that's very important. I know for many people it's, it's, uh, it's a technical decision. Um, it didn't stop anybody from getting a passport, except the passports never said what state. So they were really essentially stateless. They were they had a city of birth, but no state. Now, U.S. passport holders will be able to add Israel to their um, to their passports, <clears throat> and this is a follow up to the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Although it's something since the ninety five legislation, nineteen ninety five legislation recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital, really would have allowed for it. But you know, we built it was built into that legislation in order to get it passed and not to challenge the presidential prerogative in foreign affairs, the um, six-month waiver, which every president until now exercised, uh, and now it's fully recognized, but of equal importance, well, of similar importance, I should say, is the, is the measure about um, recognizing, let's thank the uh, uh, enabling American institutions to, to, to business with them, uh, meaning the the big funds that um, um, the three major foundations, uh, the Bard Foundation, the Bird Foundation, you know, by National Research Development, and um, the BSF Foundation, these are all very important. BSF alone supported 47 Nobel laureates and keeps um, people in both countries, scientists in both countries, in innovation, and it, it'll be very important for institutions, but especially for places like Ariel University, it's a recognition that is very significant. I don't know how the Europeans will, will react to it, but at least it, it takes away a barrier for those who live uh, in uh, you know, Chamon to be able to, to benefit, and for us to benefit from their medical research, scientific research, etc. Hmm, interesting. You mentioned Europe uh, a moment ago in terms of the reference to, to Paris. So the leader of France says that uh, that the people in, in in France are now under attack, and that uh, he meant that from a religious standpoint because this was essentially a church attack, or he meant that because of the terrorism that's now proliferating in in in, in France in general. What was his reference? So. Um it's a good question. The, the, the first attack, of course, was a secular attack. It was a school teacher, and um, the guy who, who carried out this barbaric beheading of uh, that young teacher, who was showing pictures of, of Muhammad, but in a class to talk about freedom of speech, 
but the subsequent one, the attack in the church yesterday, where two people were beheaded or attempted to be beheaded, they were killed, Not and good. a third was killed as well. Mm. That that and and we know that there has been an upsurge of these kind of attacks. But frankly, when there were attacks against Jews, which has been going on for years, when Mrs. Halimi, they refused for months to acknowledge there was an anti-Semitic attack, and even now are, are letting this guy off on the charge that he has some mental illness. The attack on the young guy, Halimi, also they refused to acknowledge it. In Toulouse, they had no choice when they, remember, they killed sure. some Jewish school children, and etc. So there is a long history leading up to this, and when France didn't t- take the proper steps to address it, uh, before and now they're paying the price for it at a terrible price and and very unfortunate as you know Erdogan the president of Turkey has now taken this on and is publicly criticizing um, uh, the, he said Macron needs some mental treatment and called for a boycott of French goods and now there are countries Arab countries Muslim countries that are are engaged in it I think there were 40,000 people in an anti-French rally in in Bangladesh the prime minister in um, Pakistan accused him of being Islamophobic, and even Jordan's foreign minister and uh, made comments about it and others. And in some of the Arab countries, the boycott is is taking hold, and you see that the French are obviously very concerned about it. But the particular tension between the European Union, but particularly France and Turkey, which has risen over over the last years, uh, even though Turkey wants to, to ascend to the EU uh, and is, is not being allowed in, but he is saying terrible things and, and comparing this, uh, saying that it's uh, like the Jews have been many times in history, especially before the Holocaust, are being targeted, Muslims are being targeted in Europe, and both the Israeli foreign ministry and others uh, sharply criticized uh, Erdogan's statement, uh, saying, you know, where he compares the Muslims in Europe to, to what happened to the uh, to, to the Jews. And remember, all these countries allowed in large numbers of Muslim immigrants. And uh, Erdogan has long weaponized the immigration issue and used it as a lever in, in Germany, in France, and elsewhere. So this has broader implications. And, um, you know, he, he called for the Muslim countries to come to the aid of the Muslims in Europe, and in many places, and certainly even if not in governments, it, it resounds. And when you have France and Turkey on opposite sides in some of the battles, like Syria, Libya, and the Karabakh, uh, that, you know, it only adds to the tension and to the fact that we're not just dealing with local issues. And many Europeans, uh, the Dutch, the Greeks, the Cypriots, who anyway are in conflict with Turkey, um, came out on this and did so did others. So this is not a little spat. This this can escalate very easily. And I never thought until you just described it. I never thought of the future implications because when 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 a leader like that and a me- meaning of his ilk uh, and his desires, as you've described here on the air many times, talks about defending Muslims in other countries. I mean, down the road, you know, years or decades from now, you know what that could lead to. Yeah, uh, exactly it, the it, point. It, yeah, I, I, I get it, but I didn't get it until this conversation, frankly. I looked at this as, you know, terrorism versus France, and really it's a bigger picture because someone's using it as an advantage to, to, try, to, you know, to try to exhibit potential control. Over. And they, you know, they deported 231 people from France. They they are taking some band aid measures, but frankly, 
it's so integrated, and the radicalization of the mosques, uh, that's why Erdogan builds mosques everywhere and puts in his people and controls it with a Muslim Brotherhood message, that the, the, um, uh, a lot of people believe that maybe it's past the point of, of no return in terms of, being a, of France being able to control it, and, and true in other countries as well when more than 10% of the population, but it's probably closer to 15% or more of the population of France are, are Muslims. This is not all Muslims. Not everybody participates in right. this, and that, people man. have to be a little bit careful. But but look at what, what we see now. We see Russia this week struck against 50, killed 50 Turkish-aligned uh, fighters in Syria. And so you see that, as I've talked about for a long time, that the Russian... Uh, Iranian Turkey, who are supposedly ally in the Astana process in Syria, but in everywhere, the three of them align when it's convenient, like in Nagar-Karabakh, where Turkey is on one side, but Russia, and now Iran, is aiding Armenia, even though you got 30 million Azeris who are very unhappy about it in France, in um, Iran, who live in Iran. And the so this conflict now, and you have them in Libya on opposite sides, you have you know growing frustration and growing tension and that's why I keep warning that any one of these places could become a, a hot spot. The Mediterranean, where France, of course, joined Greece and Israel and others in standing off against the um, the Turks when they were trying to do the uh, explorations and stuff there. And the fact that you have Russians striking out at these at this uh, Turkish-backed troops in Syria, these are all potential uh, explosive points that um, we have to watch and we have to be concerned because it's not going to be localized. Uh, the potential to, for one of these to explode, just unbelievable. By the way, you mentioned Erdogan. So I, I don't understand the whole bank case situation. Did he, in fact, pressure President Trump to do something he shouldn't have done? Which situation? On this Hawk Bank uh, uh, where the New York Times is claiming that Erdogan's influence over Trump um, – uh, regarding this uh, this bank situation, yeah. this bank case? Right. So we don't know the facts yet on that one. Uh, you mean the Hawk Bank? Yeah, Hawk that, Bank. Right. That, um, um, it, you know, Erdogan, uh, Trump used to speak a lot to Erdogan. Right. As did Obama. In fact, he was the foreign leader Obama spoke to most often in his first two years until they come to realize that this guy is a dangerous character. Uh, I remember meeting the uh, Vice President Biden when he came back and was talking to me about his discussions uh, with Erdogan. Um, and others in the administration used to ask us to try to tell the, you know, share our concerns and what, what, why we saw the triple threat in the Middle East being Islamists, Iran, but also Turkey. And now you, you see that in the UAE, in Saudi Arabia, all of them talk about it. We don't have the facts yet on the bank situation, and I don't think he covered so much for it as they may not have taken the harsh action um, that some might want to have seen. But I, I, um, I, I don't think that we know yet enough to be able to judge it. Uh, on, the, uh, on the most recent news regarding Israel's um, understanding of peace with other countries, so we know that Sudan obviously is the latest on that list, a Sudanese politician was quoted as saying, we have no enmity toward Israel. We need to abandon the Islamist pan-Arab ideologies. The Palestinians are better off than rural Sudanese. And I never considered that. 
how with all the uh, the uh, accusations of occupation of uh, being unhappy with the way Israel deals with the uh, uh, with the PA etc um it, it, I mean, it, based on what this uh, politician is saying from Sudan it's all one big convenient excuse and that uh, in fact the people who are living in the PA areas are better off than the people who live in his own country it's a very poor country it has a terrible economy it's facing the conflict over the Ethiopian dam which is escalating also and different countries on different side of that issue um uh, but the, the Sudanese are moving ahead. There was an Israeli delegation there. There is a lot of pressure. You have Islamists still in the country and left over, and the followers of the previous government who have spoken against it, or at least to, to slow it down. And it, I think it, it is a process. It's not going to be a, any kind of instant uh, decision to, uh, to fully recognize or have diplomatic relations, but that will come, and it could come at any time once they make decisions. Uh, for instance, they, it needs parliamentary approval, but the parliament doesn't function, so it's a little hard to do. So it means that other agencies of the government need, need to step in and, and do it. Um, so there is support. There is a, a desire because of their economic conditions, because of the fact that they're getting off the state sponsors of terrorism list by having paid up $335 million to the victims of terror, meaning Americans killed in the attacks on our embassies and on the USS Cole uh, from people who were based there. But, and you know that Iran used this as a major staging ground and, and weapons uh, storage until a few years ago, somehow, I guess, it's now acknowledged or, or said to be Israeli planes, took out the warehouse that was a major turning point, and the relationship between them and Iran deteriorated ever since. Speaking of taking things out of this report, is true that there's a new underground centrifuge assembly plant in Iran. Very important. I guess Israel's going to have to take some action in the very near future. Well, this is an important story because it again underscores what they are up to. This is meant to replace this facility, which is near Natanz, is, um, is being built underground inside a mountain, probably. We don't know if it's a tunnel. We don't know if it's just you know, deep down under under the uh, mountain. But what we know is that the road is very clear. The satellites show it, show the road going there. It's south of Natanz, where you remember the biggest explosion, the most important of the series of, I don't know, a dozen or more explosions at facilities in Iran took place. But this is the place where they were making the advanced centrifuges, which is a critical part of the nuclear weapons program. The truth is they have enough enriched uranium probably to and, uh, and could build a bomb in three, four months, even with the slower stuff. Mm. But what they're going to build uh, underground is to make it much harder to strike, even with the uh, Buster Bunker bombs. I'm sure that they have that in mind now that there's a bill in Congress that Gottheimer and others have introduced to uh, provide Israel with the bombs, the, these massive ordinances. And um, But the confirmation of this new facility is clear, and it starts in another dangerous uh, escalation in, in this. Uh, the Atomic Energy Agency said last month that um, the destroyed facility was being replaced with one in, in the mountains. As you know, with, there are other underground facilities, we believe, some that have been visited, but many that have not. So while the bombing of the Natanz, the explosion at Natanz, uh, set them back, we believe, one or two years. Now they will build a facility that will try to escalate the process for them. Does the U.N. care about this new facility? Oh, yeah, right. 
the IAEA does, and under the leader, current leadership, they've been more aggressive and more forthright in addressing it. But the UN does not doesn't stand up to Iran on anything. And as you know, the arms embargo has expired, and nothing is being done. And we we are obviously very concerned about the implications that not only that Iran can buy weapons, but Iran can sell weapons. And, and or provide weapons to Hamas, Hezbollah, others, and uh, you know they're always they, they do it clandestinely, but now they would be able to do it openly. Uh, one of the benefits now is Israel is getting direct access to U.S. satellites and more um, F-35 capabilities, uh, which will be necessary um, because now the the SBIRS, which is a space-based infrared system for early missile detection and uh, helps in, in terms of Israel's defense platforms. This is, uh, is very important, again, the kind of stuff that nobody gets to see. But the, the, um, the danger from Iran does not diminish. They're still active throughout the region. America imposed a lot of new sanctions, virtually covering their entire energy production, all the companies, just this week. Um, and these are very important because it does limit it. It's 60% of the oil production goes to Iraq because they can't export it anywhere. They do it clandestinely to Venezuela, but you know now most of the oil is sitting in New Jersey because we've confiscated it. Right. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, and com and the Siegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And you and I will not discuss uh, either of our preferences regarding the uh, election on Tuesday, but there are concerns, depending on who is voted into office, there are concerns regarding the future of the U.S.-Iran relationship. Um, again, um, being, I guess, a little bit more vague than we would be uh, this time next week when we know who the, when we know, when we hopefully, hopefully this time next week we'll know who the winner is. Uh, but there's a lot to be concerned about, and as I've pointed out, I think every week, you know, since Rosh Hashanah, nobody has paid attention to any of this. Foreign policy has been zero of a discussion between the press and the uh, candidates and zero of a discussion at the debate. So uh, at some point, people are going to have to wake up and deal with this situation. I hope we have a responsible leader, in fact, who can deal with it. Um, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Oxfam, are are they now officially designated as anti-Semitic by the Trump administration and or the State Department? How does it work? What's What's the latest news on that? Well, it's still in the process, as far as I know, and and the designation of these groups is significant because they use charitable dollars to engage in propagandistic uh, efforts. And I just want to add something that I don't forget. People shouldn't just look at the top line. Congress is very important. Who gets elected to Congress? And people are just, uh, it's not enough just to vote straight down the line. You have to look at the individual, see who they are, try to find out before you go into the voting booth, uh, who are the people are even who get the people get elected to state positions or or local officials they count and it affects our lives we see it here in New York City you see it around the country about how uh, how they respond to to the attacks on Jewish communities or um, and certainly in Congress uh, that the we need people who who will be fighters and will, will stand up from both sides of the aisle for. Uh, the right things. So I was shocked. Not. I was shocked to see yesterday a report that compared to 20 or 30 years ago, there are hardly any vote splitters anymore in this country. At 20, 30 years ago, it was not uncommon to do what you just described, and now it's much, much less common. 
Yeah, people used to go down the the the, the voting ballot and uh, you know check off, and and they they knew the names. They they may, didn't have access to the information we have. So I think party voting has always been true. I think it was probably more true 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, people today, I think, will you know are looking at the individuals. They they don't vote so much. People, young people don't feel that they're Democrats, Republicans. In this election, you, they they like Trump or they don't like Trump more than they they like Democrats or like Republicans. Right. Well, I, I hear what you're saying that now it would lend itself with all the information to more votes to more parties splitting. But they, they were claiming exactly the opposite that people. I know. Would, I, no, no, I, I, I'm saying. I saw it. Yes, and I'm saying it goes. It's counterintuitive. Right. It to, makes no sense. To, to say that, yes. It makes no sense. The only thing I'm thinking is that maybe people pay so much less attention now to the local races that they just are not as familiar with their government officials, and therefore they're willing to go straight down the line if they're Republican or Democrat. But I was shocked to see that. Although uh, the point you made earlier with New York in mind, I don't know if it, if it applies, you know, obviously it doesn't apply everywhere, and I think in this area there would be more splitting down the line. I think in this area, because people are so used to voting a certain way for president and so often knowing that there's only one uh, party to vote for or one party that you're familiar with when it comes to the local election. So it could be that in this area uh, it would be different. Um, 25 years later, after the uh, Rabin assassination, the prime minister says that there's still plenty of incitement and threats against the prime minister but claims no one pays attention. Is that true, that the prime minister of Israel today is under the same type of uh, of threats that you know could you know that that could put him in such a dangerous position, and then he's claiming nobody pays attention to it. I can't imagine that he doesn't have the security necessary to deal with it. So, I mean, you want me to contradict the prime minister? <laughs> it just doesn't make I think, sense. I think. Look, he certainly has tremendous security. They've learned the lessons of the past. Is there 100 percent protection? No, but I think he, he's referring to the things that are being said at some of these demonstrations and the fact that. Tens of thousands of people come out every week uh, against him, and you know this has to take a toll. It would take a toll on anybody, uh, and you know for somebody who's been in office as long as he has, he's, he's he, I'm sure he's got a thicker skin. But nobody is that thick that they disregard these attacks, and sometimes these these threats are made. Usually, people uh, uh, carry such allegations against the Likud factions, against the right wing. But it's true of the left, it's true across the board that people today in the political rhetoric, we see it in our own country, how it has changed and how, how vile some of the comments are or extreme. And uh, I think in, we've seen a, a touch of it, but it's also a, a political ploy, you know, to, to rally people to say, you know, I'm under threat. Uh, again, I don't dismiss it, and I don't think that, that, that there's no basis for it. I think there is. But, you know, he's the head of government. He can make sure that the security agencies are properly uh, acting. And you see the uh, security around him. Um, I, I don't know if uh, any recent plots or attacks right. uh, that <laughs> justify it. And these demonstrations are all COVID-related, I'm assuming. No, no, they're, no. They're not all co- Even before COVID, there were demonstrations on a weekly basis? Yeah, these, this is not just COVID-related. COVID exacerbated it, perhaps. Wow. But, but no, this is really more fundamental. It's against Netanyahu it's for him to resign, for him to step down, for him to leave. Um, yeah, that, that has been going on. It's, it's much more about that. And the numbers in Israel? What could you tell us about the COVID situation now? Uh, I didn't look at the numbers today, but um, 
they, there are places, uh, many places where it's going down, but I saw that Tel Aviv passed B'nai Brock in a number of cases. So it's obviously not contained completely, and uh, they pointed a new um, uh, czar to replace Gamzu, and we'll see whether they come up with some new uh, methods. But they, they're slowly opening the schools and opening the businesses, and uh, the general belief is that uh, you know the economy has suffered greatly from this. Uh, thank God they can sustain it, at least for now. But we have to think about the long-term implications. People haven't worked and kids not being in school, and so they're trying to to balance it and and work out of out of the uh, lockdown slowly. But you see around the world, countries are going back under lockdown. France for a month. Others, uh, we see it in the Midwest and all over the United States. Uh, I don't know, twenty, thirty states that are are now in the red um, category. It, this is a very strange virus. We don't get it yet. And I remember, and I said it on the program in, back at the, in May, June, that the predictions from security, from Mossad and others was we're going to have a second wave in September, October, and people should be prepared for it. So don't think this is over. And just abide by the regulations, by the recommendations. You know, economically, uh, and who knows, in retrospect, if all this was a mistake, you know, to lock down to the degree that the U.S., Israel, and others have done, then, I mean, we'll be kicking ourselves. But the GDP is up 33% in this country, which is pretty remarkable, in my opinion. Not that I know much about the economy. It's amazing. It's a, it's a record-breaking statistic, but it's a return. You know, we're not back to where we were pre right. Uh, COVID, it's a return, but it's, it is a remarkable one, not expected, but the story, certainly not of that magnitude. But the story that I heard from Israel was, um, I mean, again, speaking about the economy, is that uh, the oldest falafel stand in Israel, located in Tel Aviv, has announced they will not reopen. And that symbolically was an important story to Israelis, as 60,000 small businesses in Israel are predicted to not reopen once COVID eases up, and I, I just, I, I hope that... Yes, I saw that, and it's a shocking statistic yeah. when you think of a small country, right. but in this country, too, look how many big stores, stores chains, uh, fashion stores, others that haven't been open are now either moving, looking for bankruptcy production or protection or merging or closing, closing many of their stores. Uh, I know Starbucks said that they're coming back faster than anticipated, and, uh, you know, Apple... Uh, and others uh, are reporting uh, income, but they, but they are, they are all impacted. E- even when they are dynamic country companies that didn't have to close down, but the they are all impacted. Cost production goes up. You know, certainly sustaining workforces outside the office. It has a lot of implications. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but a uh, a Holocaust survivor's grandson pitched in the World Series this week. Yeah. His grandmother literally has a number on her left arm, and I don't know if anybody's contacted him yet, but you know that his story and that of his family could be very effective in Holocaust education in this country. Not that I feel he has to be forced to be recruited, but unbelievable for a kid like this with that lineage, the Wildfoyer family of Poland, that's his maternal family. Um, uh, imagine the effect he could have, uh, you know, if he, if he, if he would, uh, take on the role of, uh, uh, you know, proud Jewish grandson in this way. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, but he is, he's not, doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't yeah, I, uh, I get deny it. He's, he's very open and, uh, explicit about it. hundred percent. Uh, the F-35 sale to the UAE, apparently Israel is not objecting to it and that's going to go through. Right, and that's why I told you the story about some of the advanced information and other things that Israel's getting. 
Uh, Israel wants to buy the F-22s, uh, and there are other things in the works. The delivery is not scheduled to begin until, I think, five years, uh, to 28 was originally, but probably at least five, six years. And, you know, Israel puts its own avionics in it, so it's not that they're getting the planes that Israel has. There are still people, including Gantz and others, who have raised questions about it in Israel and saying it's a bad precedent. There are also Qatar wants to buy the uh, the F-35s, uh, which I hope will not happen. <clears throat> and um, uh, But Israel went along with it. I'm sure that it was discussed during the negotiations in one way or another. Um, and they're saying it's important because this way you have a country sitting next to Iran, across the water from Iran, with the capabilities to defend itself and to carry out actions against any kind of offensive measures. I got to ask you two more things about the election. To, you know, the election is uh, is Tuesday. It's officially election day, as you indicated. In addition to yourself, tens of millions have already voted early. Um, we we see the censorship that's taking place, or the alleged censorship uh, that's taking place by the social media companies. Uh, how they are in control of so much. You and I have discussed a million times over the last many decades uh, Jewish community and leadership attitude toward censorship, toward boycotts, toward uh, trying to silence others, and it's a really, really delicate situation. Um, Jews have seen in our history, in the history of the Jewish people, uh, that certain types of governments, it seems, uh, and 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 uh, and uh, being in control, you know, under certain types of leaders, is very. Uh, it, 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 some are worse than others. Let's put it that way. And in an environment like this, reminiscent, frankly, of you know, old Soviet Union, etc., uh, where those who are in control, and I'm not talking about the president now. I'm talking about the social media companies, have so much power to be able to silence so many, uh, you know, on a wanton basis. Uh, I, I mean. It, I, I would think that I'm, I'm, I'm basically asking if if we as a Jewish people in this country have a lot to fear and a lot to worry about in that area. It's a very interesting question because the immediate response is to say, well, we want to see them knock off all the Holocaust denial and remove it, and I think that their refusal to do so is unacceptable. But uh, on the other hand, they, they took out a fledgling uh, deception campaign aimed at the United States uh, which was in, intended to impact the presidential election, and then covered a campaign against Israel while they were uncovering that. And the small network, they said, <coughs> uh, uh, came was based in Iran and focused on U.S. and Israel. This was according to the guy, uh, Gleischer, who's the security head at Facebook, who, who spoke about that. And he said that the campaign was dormant since last year, and that often happens is that you have a campaign. That time it was against the Eurovision Song Contest that was hosted right, in Israel, right. if you remember. Yeah. And then, and, and there's an interesting, they call it perception hacking. That means an attempt to weaponize uncertainty to, to sow distrust and division. And they're trying to undermine it now. There are Russian sources alleging, but certainly Iranian. And I've talked about this many times, that, that, that I've gone into the dark web through this incredible technology that they have. And they showed me the, the thousands of websites that the Iranians uh, create. So while we want to protect free speech, uh, we, we don't even understand fully the impact of the Internet and how it can be manipulated. I know last week they sent out emails to Democratic voters in a lot of the key states and, and purporting to be from the Proud Boys and warned, we will come after you 
if you don't vote for Trump. And I know that it caused panic in, the, in some communities, that, that uh, law enforcement, others, and, of course, we know now what the, what the source of it is. So they, they monitor it, and it's a careful balance between the two. And you're raising a, you know, a point that many members of Congress and others have expressed concern about, about whether, where do you draw the line on what is acceptable or not, the fact that, you know, the New York Post is, is not allowed to post stuff or others, uh, and information then is controlled by, you know, whoever has the button at Facebook, Twitter, or any of the other companies. And uh, everyone's heading to the polls, hopefully, Tuesday, as we've described and mentioned a million times already in this conversation. Hopefully people will. Um, but the anxiety, I don't know if you felt it, frankly, but the anxiety that people have in general about what Tuesday brings, what could happen to this country, what could eventually happen to Israel, what could happen to the enemies of Israel, uh, how they're dealt with, uh, and what could happen to the Jewish people in this country, frankly, and, and, and other you know, groups, that, that uh, other faith-based groups, other minority groups, et cetera, et cetera. All this seems to uh, have created a tremendous amount of anxiety going to the polls on Tuesday. I'm not asking you for a philosophical answer. I'm really just asking you, is it justified that people feel that way as Election Day approaches? Look, I think that, the, that we're in a period of general uncertainty. It's a complex and very uh, divisive time. It's, it, it, you know, we see the riots in Philadelphia, then it spread to Brooklyn. People are, are afraid that we're sitting on a time bomb, that the, the, the demonstrations were held back because of the elections, and now we could again enter that kind of a period. Um, there are, are uh, the economic dislocation, the social dislocation adds to that sense of anxiety, the uncertainty about dealing with COVID. But I think people <clears throat> should see that we've gotten through, what, not eight months, nine months of this. I don't think people at the beginning would have anticipated that. <clears throat> and it's remarkable how much has said, how much, you know, many things are being done to make sure that those who are, who are being impacted, you know, have the necessities. But people are concerned about what happens the day after I am, and I have been advocating this for already for months that we anticipate, regardless of the outcome, either side could be the either way could be, um, um, you know, could arouse reaction. But most of all, the indecision that could come, and that might be days before we know the outcome, that the that there could be this unrest bubbles up and and then is manifest in in our cities, especially. But we've seen it all over the country. I think that this is uh, something that uh, people should be alert, and it's the reason why they should go out and vote and you know vote their conscience. I think that they have to you know be be take the necessary steps every school, every community, everybody to uh, to anticipate it. But I want to give one point of good news: if somebody wants to make a quick ten million bucks, very quick, no investment. It's to get information on the Hezbollah financial network because the State Department is working, offering up to $10 million for information that leads to the disruption of these financial mechanisms of the global terrorist network of, of the Hezbollah. So if anybody has any information out there, you want to partner, we can, you can talk to Nachum and we'll work it out together. Hang on a, hang on a second. I'm Googling Hezbollah. <laughs> Oh, within minutes, I should have an answer. Hey, hey, Siri, hey, Siri, what do we know about Hezbollah and their, uh, their rogue activities? Right. Ah, uh, all right. But you know that the U.S. has paid out about $150 million to more than 100 people, which means a million and a half dollars average 
who provided actionable information to help bring terrorists to, to justice or to break up these kind of... Um, that, that, know, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's very interesting. That's very good, actually. I didn't realize that. But but i got to share this with you right now. I have to share this with you right now. I just did that Siri joke about yeah. his, Hezbollah. I now have directions to the Hillsborough Library on my phone. <laughs> I mean, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't say it all, I'll tell you. If that doesn't just tell the whole story of this era. Right. Unbelievable. Malcolm, next week, it might be our highest ratings ever. Everyone's going to want to hear your reaction to the winner of the presidential election. If we know it. If we, if have we know, but we'll know at least uh, probably where Congress will be, and it's it's a toss-up. Nobody knows right now. Ooh, the predictions are that the Senate may flip you know, back to Republicans, uh, but to the Democrats, and the uh, although others say it's too early, it's you know, I don't, not enough information to tell. I don't know if there are other political geeks that would like this activity, but I would love it. And actually, I may do it with you. I'd like to go through all 100 senators post this election and, and literally just make a list of who's been friendly to Israel and who hasn't. And who's been there for our community who hasn't. And, and you probably know the majority of them in terms of uh, who has a, a good record or a bad record. I'd like to I know that. many, but you have a lot of people who are untested, new people who yeah, are running this true. time. Well, we'll designate them. Really we'll designate them as new. They haven't, well, pro- haven't proven we'll, we'll themselves. We'll talk about this. This is. I like this idea. The problem is, I might be the only one who likes this idea. That's, the, that's <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. I would love that. Oh, would I love that? I think I actually sat with Malcolm in uh, in Israel like twenty years ago got into a conversation and sort of did that, like went through every member of the United States Senate and got his opinion about uh, about the way they were um, leading vis-a-vis Israel, et cetera. Yeah, I may be the only one who wants to do it, but after all, I do have the microphone, so I guess I could. I guess we could implement it if I wanted to, but I'll try to consider everyone else's feelings. If you want to hear a show like that, you can email me and let me know, nahum at nahumsegal.com, or you could post it on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Segal Network app for Android and iPhone, and post away as we like to say uh what a world and hopefully next week we will have an answer regarding the uh, election before we go to rabbi yudin i want to remind everybody that partners in torah has this unique and amazing three-part series on shabbos and they're encouraging everybody to study and to view study may be the wrong word to view with someone else whether it's your spouse your cousin your friend your business colleague whoever it is it's a combination of shabbos and the shabbos project and partners in torah and they're hoping of course that more and more people will then get used to partnering up with someone to learn more about our heritage. Go to partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Everybody should do this, no matter what your background is. Videos are excellent. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Recommend it to everybody you know. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Uh, And uh, you will enjoy a really beautiful Shabbos presentations uh, from that website. And hopefully it'll lead to you becoming a mentor or a student or... uh, or um, just being involved in the work of Partners in Torah. Sophisticated tax planning goes way beyond just preparing and filing a return, and this portion of NSN programming is brought to you by the Rosenbaum Financial Services, where they believe that a comprehensive, tax-smart approach to achieving an individual's financial and life goals may yield better results in the long run. To learn more about how Rosenbaum Financial Services can help with your tax planning, go to taxcpa2.com, taxcpa2.com, or call one 800 829 2722 1-800-829-2722. Uh, this time each every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin. 
spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good evening, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Lech Lecha. With Parshas Lech Lecha, we begin the, quote, creation of the Jewish people. Indeed, let's go back to the very beginning of Bereshis, the beginning of chapter 2, where the Torah tells us, Ela todos shemaim ba'aretz, this is the unfounding, the genealogy of heaven and earth, behi bar'am, literally behi bar'am, when they were created. Says the Balaturim on the word behi bar'am, that the letters, when you scramble them, they are be'avraham. And what is the Torah teaching us? That the world was created for Avraham. The world was created for the Jewish people. And so, how do, how do the Jewish people come about? And tell us about Avraham Avinu. So amazing, in contrast to last week's parsha of Noah, where the Torah begins and says, you want to know who Noah was? He's an Ish, he's a Tzaddik, he's a Tomim. Wow! When it comes to Avraham, all the Torah tells us is, Vayom Hashem el Avraham, God says to Avraham, Lech Lecha, go, and guess what? He goes. That's who Avraham Avinu is. And the Mishnah tells us in the fifth chapter of Avos that Avraham was tested with ten tests, and the great majority of those tests are found in this week's parsha of Lech Lecha, as well. I'd like to focus on a very, forgive me, subtle point, but I think it has a very powerful uh, message, and that is as follows. In Perik Yud Dalid, in chapter 14, the Torah tells us of the war that Avraham participates in, namely that there are five kings who are living and reigning in the land of Canaan, Israel. And these five kings are attacked when they stop paying taxes to uh, Kedor the Omer. They're attacked by the four kings. The four kings come and they defeat the five. And so what happens now? The land of Israel has been overrun by the four kings. The Torah tells us that a polit, an SKP from the war, namely, our rabbis attribute that to Og, who later on becomes Melech Abashan. Og comes, informs Avram that his nephew Lot was taken captive, and Avram takes 318 men, and the Torah tells us that he defeats the four kings, and now Avram has, whoa, possession of the land. Before we go any further, let's remind ourselves that our claim to Eretz Yisrael is manifold. The very first Rashi, the book of Bereshis, is that why do we have the book of Bereshis? It is our deed to 
the land of Israel, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the entire world. It's his, it's his to give to whomever he wants, and he gave this land too. Avram Avinu, as the Torah tells us at the very beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, when Avram comes to uh, Eretz Canaan, Hashem Kaveyochel takes out his guitar and sings to Avram Avinu, this land is your land. But now, taking it much deeper, Avram Avinu fights for, and to the victor belongs the spoil, Avram Avinu conquered the land. Good. Now what? So the Torah tells us that the king of Sodom, one of those five kings who was defeated, comes to Avram Vivinu and says, let's make a deal. All right? Give me my people. Let me have my people. But the, all of the booty, all of the wealth that after all, to the victor, belongs the spoils, kachloch, take for yourself. And here we find an amazing response of Avram Avinu. And this is found in Perik Yudalid, chapter 14, and Pasuk 22. So Avram responds and answers to the king of Sodom. Harimosi yodi el Hashem, I lift up my hand to Hashem. And this, Rashi tells us, is a Lashon Shavua. He is taking an oath. And what is the oath that Avram takes? Be it as much as literally a shoe strap. All right? Will I take anything from you? Why, below Somar, that you should not be able to say, Ani is Avram, that I made Avram rich. What's going on here? Well, Rashi tells us, and let's remember everybody, at the very beginning of the parsha, when Hashem says to Avram, Lech Lecha, that you have to relocate, you have to leave where you are now, and go to a whole new location. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, that, I will bless you. And Rashi says, quoting from the Medrash. Momo means with wealth. Avram is clearly concerned that were he to take from the king of stone, then the king of stone would say, take a look, I, I, I made Avram wealthy, and this would then cause, Avram is concerned, a diminution in the Kvod Shemayim, and it would cause a Chil Hashem. Because after all, it's Hashem who promised him his wealth, and not coming from the king of Sodom. And therefore, what does Avram do? Avram girds himself. Like the Ramban says, Mikan, from here we see that the Tzadikim, what do they do? They are nishba'im. They swear as Yitzran. They too have a quote-unquote Yetzir Hara. Avram Avinu had a lot to do and could have done with all the money and booty. Come on, what does Avram do with his money? As we find at the end of next week's parsha, right before the Akedah. Vayita Eishel, 
Biver Sheva. What does Avram do with his money? He opens up Eishel, Achila Shesia Lina. He gives people, wayfarers, a place to eat, a place to drink, a place to sleep. Gives them all free room and board. And when they come to him and say, wow, thank you, thank you, what does he say? Don't thank me, thank the one above. And so Avram uses his wealth for Kirov. And we know the Rambam writes in the first chapter of Hilchos Avodah that Avram had tens, in the plural, tens of thousands of students and disciples. So Avram has what to do. And yet, he's concerned. But I would like to make the question even stronger. Namely, we find that earlier in Perik Yud Gimel, when the Torah tells us that Avram comes back from Mitzrayim, so what does the Torah tell us over there? The Torah says at the beginning of Perik Yud Gimel, and this is Yud Gimel Beis, Avraham Kaved Ma'od. Avraham was not just wealthy, he was exceedingly wealthy. Ba'mikne, ba'kesef, uvazahav. With what? With livestock, with silver, with gold. So Avram has, forgive me, a lot of money. He's a very rich man. And now he's afraid that, oh, so the answer, and I believe you've heard this from me many times, I just want to apply it to another area. Rav Hirsch, Zechron of Racha, teaches that the Torah most always teaches in the extreme. How do I know that a Jewish wife gets a ksuba? The Torah doesn't say any place. If a man marries a woman, then he is to give his wife a ksuba. No. The Torah says in Pashas Mishpatim, that if there is an Oma Ivriya, what does that mean? It means that a man was so destitute that he had no choice but to sell his daughter as a maidservant. And then the Torah strongly recommends that either the master or one of his sons marry this girl. So I would have thought that perhaps she is, after all, from the lowest strata of society, at least from an economic point of view, that maybe, maybe she... No! The Torah says that she gets a ksuba. She'ira ksusa v'onasa lo yigra. If she gets a ksuba, all the more so a regular Jewish woman. The Torah doesn't say to bury a Jewish individual. The Torah says in Pashas say that if, God forbid, there's a criminal and he was hung, you're not to what? Leave his body overnight. You are to bury him on that very same day. Ah, oh, I bury a criminal? All the more so. And I believe the Torah is telling us the same thing over here with Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu is our father. He's teaching us what is our purpose in life. Avram Avinu says, you want to know what your purpose in life is? Look at me. My purpose in life was to be Shem Shamayim, to sanctify God's name in this world. And if it's going to be perceived because I took from 
any wealth from Sidon. And the king of Sidon would say, Aha, I, I, I'm the one who made Avram wealthy. Then this would cause... Now, wait a second. Who's going to believe the king of Sidon? Come on. Who is he? He's, after all, as we know, the head of the nation that, if you can call them that, that the Torah says, Rishoim v'chatoim l'ashem ma'od. They weren't just bad people. They were ma'od. They were very bad people. And still, lest it be perceived that he, the king of Sodom, is the one that contributed and caused Avram to become wealthy, when Avram lives by the mantra, Vavorechacha, I will bless you. I, meaning HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Avram therefore has to take an oath because he is tempted to take the money. He is tempted to build another Eishel, to do more Kirov with this money. But still, uh-uh, the Kiddush Hashem that he does cause and to prevent the Chil Hashem, that is his mission in this world. Now, where, as we are speaking about what our mission is in this world, and basically to follow that of Avram Avinu, so there was, I have to tell you, a beautiful story coming out of Eretz Yisrael about a, uh, the time of Yom Noraim of a Jew working in a makolet grocery in Beit Shemesh. He happened to have been, as you'll hear, a Satma Chassid. He was opening up boxes of Ner Neshama, Yorzeit Licht, before uh, Yom Kippur, and he found in the box, I kid you not, more than a half million shekel of Israeli currency. Wow! I'm not going to tell you who his local Orthodox Rav was, but he even asked his Rav, can I keep this money? And from the letter of the law, the Rav said, shh, yes. Now listen carefully. He said, I will not. And he traced back where could this money belong to. It happened to belong to, and I don't like labels, but because this person who found it was identified as a um, Satma Chassid, the one who lost the money was somebody who you would call a bit more modern, okay? And I have to tell you, when he called him and the person got his money back, all he said was that one word, wow. Not only did he say that, forgive me, he had, unfortunately, perhaps not the highest regard, and I'm embarrassed and ashamed to say that, for other Jews of, quote, that persuasion. But look at the incredible Kiddush Hashem that he was able to accomplish. Any accountants that are there, the Kiddush Hashem doesn't have to be one that makes yeshiva world and is known all over. A Kiddush Hashem is that when you put in X amount of time preparing
somebody's taxes, you put in that exact number X and not add even a single hour. Avram Avinu says, Harimosi Yadi, I lift up my hand, I take an oath, and that is to be Mekadeh Shem Shamayim, how proud we are to have as our grandfather, Avram Avinu, who set the bar so high that we have that wonderful opportunity to try to emulate his most noble ways. Shabbat Shalom to all. So now we did both of the Kalbach Mimkomchos during this broadcast as we get ready for the yard site Monday night and uh, Tuesday.
<clears throat> uh, Tuesday morning is election day here in the United States. We will have uh, a good collection of Kalbach selections on his 26th yard site here at JM in the AM. We'll have that for you. Uh, don't forget partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a series that's been introduced of beautiful videos about Shabbos. They're encouraging people to uh, watch the videos and study them with um, with others. All the details are there on the website. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. Uh, it will enhance your, uh, your Shabbos, certainly, and hopefully it will... Uh, Increase your desire to study on a regular basis uh, with the uh, Partners in Torah system. Partnersintorah.org slash Shabbat. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies. Pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net kosherdogs.net where you can enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio and try A&H today well we have amazing programming coming up I mean we talk about Thursdays and Fridays and weekends here at the Nahum Siegel Network there's so much so much that we offer and that we hope you'll stay tuned in all day long I mean let me give you an example of well today actually is a good example of our amazing programming uh, coming up right after JM and the AM, Naomi Nachman is uh, hosting Table for Two. She'll be joined by Chopped champion uh, Rachel Goldsall, Adina Fishlowitz discussing the Shabbos Project, Gabriel Soul, founder of J-Chef, and Eliezer Franklin, the CEO of Pella Poultry. All Naomi's guests coming up in a brand new edition of Table for Two next at 9 a.m. Eastern time here at the Nahum Siegel Network. The Arab Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Uh, that starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Erev Shabbos Music Mix starts at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, hosted, or I should say presented by our friends at Kedem. The final hour will begin about 4.30 Eastern Time. About 4.30 Eastern Time, Mark has prepared incredible final hour selections for um, an Erev Shabbos Parsha's Lech Lecha. In fact, I think he mentioned some of them. Did he mention some of them to me yesterday? Let me just check. Um... I believe some of them were, uh, here we go. Um, let's see here. Um, well, actually, no, I don't have a list, but I could tell you that he has busily prepared a final hour show starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time that you're going to want to hear. It's the perfect way to go into Shabbos. Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night with our Rummy. With uh, Rami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, uh, we have our JM Sunday program airing live with the amazing Matis Weingast. He has a commitment that he makes every single week and never, ever misses. Matis hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday beginning at 7 p.m. 7 a.m. <laughs> 7 a.m. Eastern Time here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And that will be, uh, that will be um, a new time, meaning... That Sunday morning will be on standard time. Tomorrow night, 2 a.m. becomes 1 a.m., and we're on standard time tomorrow night, which means it'll be a seven-hour difference between us and Israel again. All right, so keep that in mind, and um, we'll have that for you uh, Sunday morning with um, with Matis Weingast, and again, 
That is a um, a program that will be at 7 a.m. Eastern time on the new time. Don't forget to change the clock tomorrow night. Tuesday's Election Day. Make sure to vote. Micha Gammerman with a Shabbos medley at JM in the AM.
Shame of the aim on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Lachlacha. Tuesday is election day, everybody. Don't forget. Don't forget to vote, certainly. Candlelighting in New York, 534. Make sure you know when things start where you are. In Israel, you're already on standard time. Shabbos in Yerushalayim starts uh, minutes from now. Time to say good Shabbos with journeys at JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and a great week here at JM and the AM. Coming up next, Table for Two, Naomi Nachman with a bunch of un- a phenomenal guests and a brand new edition of Table for Two. Then Mark Zamek in the Arab Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos music mix at 1 p.m. Eastern time brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And our final hour of the week starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time as prepared by Mark Zamek and sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's all happening all day long. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, Matis and JM Sunday live Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. Make sure to tune in. And don't forget to change the clock tomorrow night. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend, everybody. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. Thank you.